From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Like many Americans, religious groups in the U.S. are deeply divided over the fall of Roe v. Wade. Some are rejoicing at the decision. Some are condemning it. And still others say the issue is more nuanced than just for and against. While the anti-abortion movement in politics has been powered largely by conservative Christians and Catholic leadership, the majority of Catholics and at least a third of evangelicals believe abortion should be legal and accessible. Meanwhile, many Americans of other faiths, or no faith, see the ruling as an infringement on their own freedom of and from religion. Nadia Mohajer is the founder and co-executive director of HEART, a national nonprofit organization focused on reproductive justice and education. Rabbi Amanda Green is associate rabbi at Chicago Sinai Congregation. They join us with their thoughts. You've had the weekend to sit with the news. How are you both feeling about the ruling today? Nadia, let's start with you. Thank you so much. Um, you know, the same as I was feeling on Friday. I'm very disappointed and I'm very angry at the court ruling. Um, and just as you pointed out in your introduction, it's really important to underscore that this ruling is not representative of what the majority of Americans want. And in fact, more than half of Muslims, 56%, according to the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding and the Muslim American poll, um, are actually supportive of access to safe and legal abortion. Rabbi Green, what's on your mind? Yes, I still am feeling quite devastated. This is a sad and difficult time uh, for our country, especially when the Supreme Court makes decisions often in this con- context, and a lot of the argument is based on religion. And one of the things that we've been talking about in our community is that this uh, is not re- Uh, reflective of the Jewish religion, and that is also really important for us to know. Um, There's a lot of work to be done uh, in this divided nation. Well, tell us more about that, and and you can speak broadly, but talk about the guidance that your faith gives when it comes to abortion access. Absolutely. So the biggest piece that's very clear in the Jewish religion is that our tradition does not equate abortion with murder. In fact, according to our religion, uh, the an individual's life does not begin until birth. And so a fetus is not a life. And the life of a mother, the precedence of the mother, uh, it takes precedence in every scenario. And so when the health, uh, be it physical or mental or emotional health, is in danger, our tradition not only permits abortion, but there are times that it requires abortion. Nadia, as a Muslim, how does your faith inform how you view abortion access? Absolutely. I really resonate with everything that Rabbi Amanda just shared. Um, As I mentioned, this ruling is informed by a very specific Christian perspective of when life begins, and that is not how Muslims understand Uh, when life begins either. And so, you know, there are actually multiple rulings for abortion on Islam, and they range from extremely restrictive to extremely permissive with Mm -hmm. everything in between. And just as Rabbi Amanda pointed out, the mother's life is always prioritized in in situations. And historically, in pre-modern Islamic societies, abortion was 
an issue that was strictly between pregnant people and the providers. The state or religious authority rarely got involved. And so at heart, we um, are also kind of uplifting this um, to reclaim this historical tradition of ours and to say that, you know, we believe that is really up to the pregnant person to determine what is aligned with their spiritual and religious understanding and what is best for their health and safety. Um, because our faith actually provides a lot of a space for um, reproductive choice. Rabbi, what conversations are you having w- with your congregation? W- what are they saying to you? Well, in the last uh, few days, I think most people have just been reaching out with utter disappointment sadness and anger and are ready to take action, whether it be to donate to funds for abortion access or to rally and protest. I think uh, people are worried about what may come next, uh, what rulings may come next, and what the ripple effects may be. Um, I think there are people, as uh, unsurprising as this is, given the leak that happened, I think that people are still processing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also grateful to live in the state of Illinois and recognizing that in the midst of all of this. And as you both mentioned, you know, both Islam and Judaism allow for abortion and, and protect the right of a woman to have one. In fact, uh, a synagogue in Florida is suing the state over its 15-week abortion ban right now, calling it an infringement on their freedom of religion. Do you think that this could create a divide among religious groups? For example, you know, pro-choice Jews and, and Muslims on one side and conservative Christians on another? Rabbi? I do think that the divide in some ways is already there. And I would hope that perhaps this continues to be an opportunity for dialogue as opposed to monologue. And I think that the that Judaism and Jews don't—I have no issue with what a Christian believes. It's when they want to impose their beliefs on me. And I think that's where the critical issue is here and how we can truly all have a country that it has a separation of church and state, and that separation feels to not be as uh, the divide keeps to be, seems to be shrinking. So I, while I think that in some ways, yes, the divide is already there, I think that there are many opportunities for different religions to to work together mm-hmm. um, to create a, a better society. What do you think, Nadia, about this divide among religious groups? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, to, to the rabbi's point, um, absolutely the divide has always been there. It will continue to be there. I think what's important is understanding how deeply political and politicized this particular issue has been and really kind of working to correct misinformation and stereotypes and misinformed attitudes around this issue to really make people understand how this can literally impact any person who can get pregnant, even if they don't ever intend to get an abortion, even if they don't believe abortion is permissible according to their faith. uh, I think it's really important to kind of do some political education around why this impacts everyone. And that is because the procedures that are used in removing a spontaneous miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy are actually identical to the same procedures used in medical abortion. And this also means that, you know, uh, providers will be 
having to carefully consider what what reproductive health care options they can even offer mm-hmm. their patients. And, you know, even when they're life saving, um, it can be criminalized, you know, fertility treatments, birth control, it's all up for debate. And so I think it's really important to sort of correct some of the misinformation and mobilize folks around the fact that we're not just talking about abortion here, we're actually talking about how reproductive health care has been practiced in this country for the for for the last you know century to that end nadia i want to take it back a little bit and talk about sex education generally public school programs they aren't always the most comprehensive or empowering when it comes to sex education many faith communities also tend to err on the conservative side so how do you think this ruling impacts reproductive health and education in the muslim community it's going to be similar. I think people are um, still very um, wary of sex education. um, And I think that it's, uh, you know, for us to basically continue and double down on our political education, health education, that having access to sex education is actually preventative in many ways, and does not, you know, encourage any of the things that um, they are afraid that it will encourage, but rather it provides folks with the, the the important critical life skills that they need to navigate dating and relationships and, and all of the things that come as children grow older. And so I think that um, definitely to your point about sex education differing across schools and and public schools and private schools, I think, you know, there needs to be some level setting happening um, in terms of creating a basic standard of education that every young person receives. And then on top of it, cultural and community groups coming together and um, determining for themselves what additional supplementary uh, education do we want to provide in order for our young people to be able to be equipped with all that they need to make Um, informed decisions about their bodies. How do you think the ruling impacts sex education in in the Jewish community, Rabbi? Yeah, I think the same uh, is true in terms of uh, the public education sphere. But in terms of the Jewish community, I think in some ways it is this opportunity, as Nadia said, to double down on sort of what our Jewish values and our Jewish teachings offer us uh, when it comes to safe and healthy relationships, as well as all of the components out there that to understand the political and the health implications, so many uh, decisions and so many choices that people uh, are in the are faced with making, but to also emphasize what Judaism says about health care and about reproductive health care specifically. And, and in many ways, our, our students have already been doing that in On a non-COVID time, we take our students to Washington, D.C., and many of them have already advocated uh, to Congress and to our senators about reproductive health, Mm -hmm. um, speaking from personal experiences. Nadia, talk about the, the work that you do at Heart and why you founded it in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So Heart is a national nonprofit that works to advance reproductive justice promote sexual health and uproot gendered violence in Muslim communities. And, you know, we've been doing this work for more than a decade, and it was really founded out of a need we were seeing uh, where, you know, best practices in public health education, mainstream programming, wasn't necessarily meeting the needs of faith communities and especially Muslim communities. So kind of what we did was we founded it to kind of bridge that gap, to bring 
you know, best practice public health education to this hard to reach community by also, um, you know, taking inspiration from values in Islam, such as compassion and justice and, um, you know, uh, not seeking knowledge. All of these are, are very core values to Islam and really connecting those back to why sex education is not only not in conflict with Islamic values, but it is actually inherently Islamic to be able to be informed about your body and about sex and about relationships Mm -hmm. and also to, to, to speak up and uh, be able to identify when harm is being done to either your own body or somebody else's body um, and be able to protect them as well. You know, when the SCOTUS ruling came down Friday, Hart released a statement that said, quote, abortion criminalization is yet another extension of the various ways Muslim bodies are criminalized. What did that mean? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, you know, as you know, there's a long history of Muslims being targeted and surveilled in the U.S. And abortion criminalization is just going to be an extension of the various ways that Muslim bodies will continue to be criminalized. Um, And as I mentioned before, this ruling is going to impact anybody who is pregnant, anybody who may be experiencing miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy or, you know, pursuing a medical abortion, all of these people who are already surveilled will be under more scrutiny uh, and may be interrogated or may be able, may be forced to prove Mm -hmm. whether their um, miscarriage at home was, you know, um, spontaneous or whether it was, um, uh, you know, an, uh, an elective abortion. And that is just another way that um, Muslim bodies will um, continue to be policed and surveilled, criminalized and potentially incarcerated. Before I let you go, Rabbi, how do you see this conversation continuing to evolve within your congregation? I think that as people continue to process this, people will want to take more action to be able to preserve the American values of religious liberty and equality that the our ban on abortion really goes against our Jewish belief of prioritizing an actual life over a potential life and trying to ensure that every one of us has the right to make personal health care decisions based on our own faith and values, continuing to work until we reach that again. That's Rabbi Amanda Green with the Chicago Sinai Congregation and Nadia Mohajer, founder of Heart Women and Girls. Thank you both. Now we turn to two new voices to continue our conversation about how faith communities are dealing with the reversal of Roe. Joanne Terrell is an associate professor of theology, ethics, and the arts at Chicago Theological Seminary. Iman Abdelhadi is an assistant professor at University of Chicago and sociologist studying gender and Muslims in the U.S. They both join us now. Uh, I want to start by asking you, uh, Professor Terrell, now that you've had the weekend to sort of process the news of, of the Supreme Court ruling, what is on your mind today, Monday morning? Well, I've been uh, concerned that we are moving towards a, a conservative theocracy, and that's not good in my view as a Christian and as a Buddhist. First, I think it's impossible to be anti-choice and pro-life. Because if you're pro-life, you wouldn't deny women the right to choose the kind of lives that we want to live. And it doesn't matter whether you believe uh, abortion is morally reprehensible. The issue is whether or not women can be considered in primary or secondary relationship with the divine and can deliberate on scripture, tradition, reason, and experience 
all the sources of theology in order to form and adjudicate our own responses to life, as well as pursue paths that lead to self-realization, such as the Eightfold Path of Right View, Right Vocation, Right Action, etc., mm-hmm. or simpler path of loving one's neighbor as one loves oneself. Professor Abdelhadi, I wonder how you're viewing the ruling this morning. Yeah, there's a lot of shock and devastation in my community um, on two grounds. One is just the kind of moral horror at seeing um, women's women's bodies um, being controlled in this way. Um, and the other is just sort of a, a sense that this is Uh, Christianity being legislated and enforced on all of us, including religious minorities. Professor Terrell, you are, as you mentioned, ordained in both Christianity and Buddhism, right? So can you speak generally for us about how those faiths view abortion? So I think it's not a question of whether the faiths uh, uh, regard abortion as a topic for spiritual discussion. I don't. I think that there are some forms of Christianity that certainly deprive women of choice uh, concerning their bodies, but there are other traditions of Christianity that say women have the right to choose their own way of life, and uh, that women have the the responsibility to keep on becoming self-realizing through the path that Jesus offers them in in the Christian way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And in the Buddhist way of thinking, the, the whole issue of right vocation, right action, those things are for you to adjudicate as an individual and not for the government to adjudicate on your behalf. And what happens is when you do adjudicate these things, then you become a, a responsible agent in front of God, if you want to have the the divine be the interface, or but you have the right also to to choose because this is just your own agency. This is your own capacity to be a light to your own self. That's why we have minds. That's why we have hearts. That's why we have agency to do what we want to do in life, and to do what we're called to do too. And sometimes, in the case of women. Is not to be a parent at this time, it, or it may, might never to be a parent. It might be never to be a parent, and that's perfectly fine uh, as long as we are responding to God. Professor Abdelhadi, you spoke to the Washington Post about your own abortion back when you were still a student. You want to share a bit of that with us? Yeah, um, I was in a committed relationship, and uh, we were seven months in, and I was a graduate student living on a very tight budget in New York and embarking on my PhD, and it was a very clear and easy decision for me um, that I was not ready to have a child and that um, I simply didn't want one, and I and honestly didn't have any qualms about Did, um, did your faith influence that? Did your faith and culture influence that, or was it just simply looking at what was in front of you? I'm in school. We haven't really been together yeah. that long. Honestly, I didn't grow up with a sense that abortion was this, um, you know, intensely morally reprehensible thing. I grew up um, with you know, with the understanding there are many different opinions in Islamic um, law about abortion, but even the most conservative uh, opinions allow for abortion up to 120 days. Some of the more conservative voices would say that, you know, these would need to be um, there would need to be extenuating circumstances. But there's there's um, I didn't grow up with a sense that this was, you know, a big 
um, sort of morally laden decision or that, you know, I needed um, to see a six month, you know, a six week um, formation in my body as as a separate life. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, my faith played a role in the sense that it, it didn't make this a moral crisis for me. Professor Terrell, as we know, abortion access, it's a divisive issue right now. Some religious communities are debating and and considering what it all is going to mean for them. What conversations are you having in your circles? Uh, I was having this conversation with my aunt about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and and the the potential for people who have been raped and and those who have been incested to uh, lose this option of choice. And, uh, and, and as we were talking, she began to realize that we were on opposite sides of the, the, the religious uh, perspectives on this. And she said, well, whose side are you on anyway? And I, that question struck me because uh, it's important to be on the side of those who are most marginalized, who, who don't have choice, who don't have uh, 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 options that will be uh, life-giving for them mm-hmm. themselves. And so I, I, that, that settled it for me that I was always going to be pro-choice because um i i need to be on their side i need to be on the side of those who 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 are like you most, said the marginalized the most yeah. marginalized yeah most, i need to be on the side of the most marginalized i always need to be on the side of the most marginalized and so whose side am i on anyway is uh those women who who need to exercise their right to choose Professor Abdelhadi, before the break, we talked a little bit on the program about how the ruling could impact reproductive health and education, especially in the Muslim community. Um, But what about how it could impact political attitudes? Have you been thinking about that at all? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the one of the findings that we have um, recently is that for Muslim Americans, as well as for other um, racial racialized minorities in the U.S., um, the the link between social conservatism and political conservatism is not strong. So what we see is that even if people are sort of internally socially conservative or, you know, conservative in their own behavior um, or in their communities, they're not necessarily um politically motivated by those conservatisms. They don't necessarily want to see them legislated, and they're not necessarily going to rally around um, parties that see that. So Mm -hmm. I think that there's been, you know, I think because of the positioning of Muslims uh, since 9-11 over the past 20 years, I think um, a lot of Muslim activism has been on the progressive end of things. And um, I think Muslims have already been thinking a lot about what it means to be part of a progressive coalition, even when the community itself in terms of um, social attitudes might be divided. Um, so I think I don't think I don't see this shifting Muslims alliances to the right. I think, if anything, we are already beginning to see a lot more progressive activism um, and activism around reproductive justice from within the Muslim community. Professor Terrell, are you thinking about how the ruling could influence reproductive education in faith communities? Uh, definitely. Uh, 
So I, I was talking to a man who who was very passionately uh, anti-choice, and I asked him, "Well, why are you? Uh, why is this a boilerplate issue for you? Why?" And when I asked him that, there was so much uh, fear and shame behind his own eyes that I fear that that is uh, a lot of what motivates the vitriol of, of people who are anti-choice. And I, I fear what that means for the capacity to commit violence, striking yeah. out folk. Uh, I fear what that means for for those of us who are embroiled or engaged in, in other socially marginalized uh, communities. Mm -hmm. I fear what that means for all of us. Yeah. Uh, so so, but, uh, so many um, questions still remain. That is uh, Professor Joanne Terrell with the Chicago Theological Seminary, also sociologist and Professor Iman Abdelhadi with the University of Chicago. Thank you both. That's it for today's Reset. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps other folks find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. You can hear us back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.